0: we continue in our studies in the Gospel of Luke. So, are you bearing fruit? That's the question. Jesus says in verse 43, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes gathered from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. The evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So are you bearing fruit? You're a professing Christian. And is that evident in your life? Do people know that you're a Christian by your fruit? Matthew 7, verse 19 and verse 20 say, For every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So do people recognize you as a Christian by your fruit? And if you were to be arrested and charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And would there be an abundance of fruit, an abundance of evidence, that you are a Christian such that they could easily get a conviction? And our Lord is talking then about bearing fruit, and he's saying that the citizens in his kingdom, they bear fruit. And the people in his church, they bear all kinds of fruit, and they show by their fruit that they really are Christians. Not that they're perfect, they are righteous before God, and they have a transformed heart, but they're not perfect. But they show by the fruit that they are genuinely converted, that there's genuine faith. So that's what he's speaking about. And the first thing that we need to think about is the nature of fruit. What kind of fruit is the Lord Jesus talking about here when he says that real Christians bear fruit? One might ask, how do you know if a baby is doing well? How do you know if a baby is alive and well? Jude isn't here this morning, but if you... Think about Jude. How do you know that Jude is is doing well, is, is being well looked after? Well, you just kind of have to look at Jude to know that, you know, he's doing well. He's flourishing. He's well fed. And he's well nourished. No question about it. He's moving and he's growing exponentially. Well, there's evidence that not there? There's, there's fruit. How do you know that a Christian is alive and doing well? What kind of fruit do you expect to see in the life of a Christian? Well, there's conduct, there's conduct. Listen to Paul, this is the verse uh, just after the passage that Ola read. This is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand That we should walk in them. All those who are saved by grace through faith will necessarily manifest good works. They always follow, they're always present. They don't precede conversion, they follow conversion. And they necessarily follow conversion because God has ordained that. Listen to Paul. In the book of Titus, he says, And let our people also learn to maintain good good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. So the fruitful Christian then maintains good works and meets the urgent needs of the people around them. So in a true Christian, you're always going to see conduct uh, that constitutes the good fruit in a Christian life. Then there's character. Uh, The Christian is going to be a different kind of person than he was before. She's going to be, in terms of her character, different than she had been prior to her conversion. Paul prays in Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11, he prays that we might be filled with the fruit of righteousness. The writer of Hebrews says that chastening, that is when God disciplines us, he says chastening will result in the peaceable fruit of, of righteousness. And so every true Christian is going to have a character that resembles the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be a striking and a growing resemblance to the Lord Jesus because you're saved and one of the fruits of your being converted is that your character is being transformed. You're becoming more and more holy. You're becoming increasingly more like God. So there's conduct and there's character. And then there are conversions. Those who come to Christ through the witness of his people, they are fruit. They're the fruit of God converting people like us. And through our being converted, we give testimony and then God brings about fruit. Other conversions, other people coming the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul longed to go to Rome so that, he says, he might have some fruit amongst them. Read about that in Romans 1.13. And then later on, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15, he talks about the first fruits in Achaia. What were the first fruits? Well, he's talking about the conversion of the household of Stephanus. He says, well, now, when they were converted, they were the first fruits of Achaia. And the ESV translates that phrase, first fruits, as the first converts. I mean, literally, it's first fruits. But the interpretation is, the understanding is, that they were the first conversions in Achaia. So, part of the fruit that every true Christian will bear is conversion. So, there's character, and there's conduct, and there is conversion. And so again, the question is, is there fruit in your life? Are you bearing fruit? Let me me ask another related question. Is there increasing fruit? Are you growing in this whole matter of bearing fruit? Let me ask another related question. Is there still fruit? What I mean by that is, No, you've grown now. You've grown, and maybe you've grown old. And after all these years, there's still fruit. I mean, you're still bearing fruit in old age. After all these years, is there still fruit? One more question. Is there diminishing fruit? Has there been a slow decline? A steady decline? A year-by-year decline in your fruitfulness. You know, that can happen. So we want to pray then that God will make us fruitful Christians. That's the only kind of Christian there is. We want to be increasingly and more richly fruitful in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the nature of fruit. There it is. Now secondly, the necessity of fruit. The necessity of fruit. And the first thing I'll say here is that there must be good fruit. There must be good fruit. Years ago when I was uh, at university, uh, I had two roommates and um, at some point during our first year, I think, we, we discovered that there was a smell in the kitchen. Increasingly offensive and eventually overwhelming, and we searched and searched to find the cause of it, and eventually discovered that there was a bag of potatoes that we had completely forgotten about, and that had gotten, having been forgotten, it was rotten now. So a rotten bag of rotten potatoes. I don't know if you know what that smells like, but I can still smell it. That was in early 80s. The word rotten is the word that is used when Jesus says bad. A bad tree. Literally, that's a rotten tree. And that rotten tree will bear rotten fruit. So, no Christian is going to bear rotten fruit. There's a necessity of good fruit. A Christian must bear fruit. We know that from Matthew 7, verse 19. And a Christian must bear good fruit, not rotten fruit, because if the fruit is rotten, then the tree is rotten, and then the tree is cut down, and the tree is thrown into the fire. So there must be good fruit. Putting it in theological terms, when you come to the book of James, James says, in James 2, verses 14, right down to verse 26, James says, you say you have faith, and I say I have faith. Show me the reality of your faith by your works. The talk isn't good enough. There has to be works. Show me the reality of your faith by your works. Because James says, faith without works is dead. So the tree can't say that it's a good tree and then not bear good fruit. Or that it's a good tree and then bear bad fruit. No, no. There must be good fruit. And so it is with the Christians. Necessarily, there must be fruit, and good fruit, in your life. Over the years, I've met people who say they're Christians, but there's no fruit. There's no evidence. There's no evidence of grace. There's no fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. There's no love for Christ. There's no interest in the Word. There's no desire to gather with the saints. There's no longing for fellowship. There's just no evidence. They they say that they are Christians, but they're not living as if they're Christians. They say that they're alive, but they seem to be dead. They say they're alive, but there's no Evidence of being alive. There's no fruit of being alive. There's no movement and no talking and no love that manifests the reality of the faith. J.C. Ryle says, let it be a settled principle again in our religion that when a man's general lifestyle is ungodly, his heart is graceless and unconverted. Let us not give way to the vulgar notion that although men live wickedly, they may have good hearts at the bottom. Such notions are flatly contradictory to our Lord's teaching. Is the general tone of a man's communication carnal and worldly, irreligious, godless and profane? Then let us understand that this is the state of his heart. When a man's tongue is generally wrong, it is absurd, no less than unscriptural, to say that his heart is right. If the heart is bad, it will manifest itself in the lifestyle. And if the lifestyle is bad and carnal and unchristian, it's a reflection of the state of the heart. So there must be good fruit. And if you're listening, and there's no evidence of grace in your life, it's because there's no grace in your heart. There must be good fruit. The second thing I'll say is that there must be a good heart. There must be a good heart. Because there is, as you read what our Lord says here, a vital connection between the life and the heart. You see in verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces His evil treasure produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And people try to get away from that, but the fact is there's a vital connection between the heart and the life. And what you see in the life is the overflow of the production of the heart. It's a reflection of the state of the heart. And as I said, people try to get away with that. They try to get away with that in the world today, especially in the... Celebrity culture we have, and you you see it when you listen to apologies from famous people about their misconduct. So uh, they do something wrong, they say something derogatory, uh, they engage in activity that is problematic, and they get caught, and then they apologize. And so often the apologies run something like this: "Well, I'm sorry." about what I did. Or even worse, they say, I'm sorry that you're upset about what I did, which isn't a, an apology at all. But they say, I'm sorry about this, and but you know, this is not who I am. This is not who I really am. And they say that this is, this is not the, the kind of person that I am deep down. And you see most of the time, you have to say, well, yes, it is. And most of the time, yes, it it is a reflection of, at least part of who you are. To accept responsibility for that is to say, yes, out of the overflow of my heart came actions and words that you saw and were offended by. And I'm deeply troubled about the fact that that's who I really am, and I want to change. That would be an apology, but people try and disconnect the heart from the life and say, no, I'm really quite a wonderful person. I don't even know what this is all about. You see, the fact is that the real problem is inside Again and again, that's what the Bible says, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. What you see on the outside, this wickedness, this godless lifestyle, is a reflection of the fact that there's a deep heart problem here. You're just not a Christian. That's why you're not acting like a Christian. And if you look at your life and you see, well, there's no fruit there, that's because you have a real profound problem in the depths of your being. And you need to be changed. You need to be converted. You need to come to Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus in Matthew 6, 20 says, I tell you this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But our Lord is saying, when he says your righteousness needs to exceed, he's not saying do more stuff than the Pharisees do. I mean, they do all kinds of stuff. They, they fast, and they give, and they pray, and they were the holy ones. And some people, then Jesus is saying, you need to do more stuff like that. But it's actually the opposite. He's not saying do more things. It needs to be more external stuff going on. No, he's saying it needs to be deeper. It needs to exceed their righteousness in terms of depth. The righteousness of a Christian comes from within. There is an inner transformation going on. That's what needs to happen. And at conversion, that is what happens. You're transformed from within. You're given a new heart, Ezekiel 36, 26 and following. There's a transformation. It begins inside, and it affects the external life. Jeremiah 13.23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also can you do good who are accustomed to do evil. You see, what the prophet is saying is that if your life is carnal and corrupt, you can't just say to yourself, Well, I'm going to start doing good stuff. You can't do that. You need a sovereign intervention. You need God to change you. You need to come to Christ so that you might be a new creation. And then you will begin to live the kind of life a Christian must live. From within being transformed. So you see, when, you're, when you talk about the fruit that our Lord Jesus is uh, demanding here, you see the necessity of fruit. So there must be good fruit, and it must be the good fruit that flows from a good heart a changed heart, a transformed heart, a heart that's been gifted to you by the sovereign grace of God. And if you're not a Christian, you find this whole conversation convicting because you see in your life there's, there's only death. Well, then the thing to do is come to Christ. The thing to do is to believe in the Lord Jesus. And you'll be transformed. And your life then will begin to reflect the reality of true faith. Now you'll have faith and the works that necessarily come with it. So there's the necessity of faith. Uh, of fruit, rather. Thirdly, the genesis of faith. How does this all start? So now you're a Christian and you're, you're living a life, not the kind of fruitful life you like, you like more fruit, but there is a transformation and there is fruit in your life. Well, how did it all start? things. One, it begins with the Lord. It begins with the Lord. If you're a fruitful and a useful Christian, well, there's no glory for you because it began with God. And it continues because of God. In John 15, 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You see, before, there was no fruit in your life because you were carnal, and your heart was sick and sin. But God changed that. He didn't leave you in that state. He transformed you, and He gave you the heart that loves Christ and the heart that can bear fruit. And now, out of the abundance of the new heart, God gave you, your mouth speaks. And out of the abundance of the new heart, the Lord gave you, come actions that are honoring to Him, and a blessing to other people. The Lord changed you. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone, the heart of stone that couldn't bear any kind of fruit at all. And I'll remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's why you as a Christian are bearing fruit. Because of this gracious and sovereign work of God. That's why you want to do good. That's why you want to honor the Lord. That's why useful and profitable things flow out of your mouth. It's all a sovereign work of God. It begins with the Lord. And then, secondly, it begins with the heart. It begins in the heart. You're a professing Christian, and your changed lifestyle is a result of your changed Heart, You're being changed, as I've been saying, from the inside out. Richard Baxter said, the first and great work of a Christian is about his heart. There it is, that is, in the heart that God dwells by his spirit in his saints. And there it is that sin and Satan reign in the ungodly. The great duties and the great sins are those of the heart. There is the root of good and evil. The tongue and the life are but the fruit and expressions of that which dwells within. And that's why the Proverbs say, keep your heart with all diligence. Because the fruit in your life is going to begin in the heart. And depending upon the the healthy or unhealthy state of your heart, that will determine the kind of fruit that is manifested in your life. So do you want to live a fruitful life? Do you want to manifest increasingly fruit in your life? Well, then Proverbs says, guard your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. Be careful about the state of your heart. Keep your heart healthy. Make sure that, as they say with computers, garbage in, garbage out. Well, if garbage comes into your heart through the the eye gate and the ear gate, garbage will come out so guard the heart feed on the truth bite right. drink in righteousness walk with the wise the people who walk with the wise says proverbs will be wise learn from other christians watch the example of other Christians imitate people like Paul who imitate Christ so guard the heart you see that's the key to increase and healthy fruit in the Christian life and so we're talking then about the genesis of the fruit it starts with the lord and it begins in the heart and then moves out fourthly the purpose of fruit The purpose of fruit, the almost inevitable companion of growth in knowledge and holiness is pride. The almost inevitable companion of growth in knowledge and holiness is pride. Now, it's a good thing to grow in knowledge and holiness, but you have to beware of the tendency towards pride. And uh, it's a subtle, but it's a very strong temptation to publicize and to parade your fruit, your holiness, your virtue. Just turn for a moment to Matthew chapter 6. Our Lord is saying there has to be fruit in your life. And we know that uh, our fruit ought to be rich and abundant and healthy. But our Lord warns us. In Matthew 6, we won't read the whole passage But if you just look over verses 1 to 18, what you have here is fruit. The Lord talks about three areas of fruit or service. He talks about prayer, and He talks about giving, and He talks about fasting. And usually if you see that, people who, all they give to the cause of Christ, they pray about the cause of Christ, and they fast so that the cause of Christ might grow exponentially. You say, well, there's lots of fruit there. And probably there is. But there's a danger with fruit. And you see it here with the Pharisees. Because if you look at verse 2 and then verse 5 and then verse 16, you see the reasons why the Pharisees did what they did. Why did they give and pray and fast? Well, the Lord says it's To be praised by others, verse 2. To be seen by others, verse 5. To be seen by others, verse 16. That was their motive, you see. What's the purpose of all these things? Really and truly for them, it was to be praised by people. To be seen by people. And we want them to see what we've done and see who we are so that they might praise us and speak well of us and think highly of us. The Lord Jesus, on the other hand, says in verse uh, John 15, verse 8, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. The Lord has a completely different purpose for the fruit that he says must be there in the lives of his people. It's so that God might be glorified. And no wonder, because he's the one that brought about the transformation. He's the one that stirs the soul to do good and to speak well. And he's the one who gives the ability to accomplish all of these things. So, really, all the glory does belong to him. And all the, all the glory must go to him. And you and I must not steal one iota of the glory that comes as a result of this fruit. But you know it's hard, J.C. Ryle says, success is what all faithful laborers in the gospel field desire. All long to see Satan's kingdom pulled down and souls converted to God. The desire is right and good. It's good to want to grow. And it's good to grow, it's good to be fruitful. And it's good to see, to want to see the fruit of conversion and to want to see the fruit of a transformed character and transformed conduct and transformed uh, conversation. That's all fine and wonderful. Raoul goes on, he says, let it never be forgotten that the time of success is a time of danger to the Christian soul. The very hearts that are depressed when all things seem against them are often unduly exalted in the day of prosperity. Few men are like Samson, and can and can kill a lion without telling others of it. Few Christians are like Samson, who can kill a lion and not tell other people. So maybe you kill the lion. You, know, you accomplish something wonderful in your life. You're really growing. You're really serving. You're really being used. But unlike Samson, you feel a need to let everyone know about it. Ryle says, few of us are like that, like Samson, who can do it and grow and manifest and, and not parade it like the Pharisees. So it's tough, isn't it? It's hard. Because our natural tendency is to want to grab just a little bit of the glory. So we pray for fruit, but we also pray for the humility to accompany that fruit. Pray for the, the Lord to give us humility, even as he blesses us with fruitfulness. Robert Murray McShane said, how much more useful might we be if we were only more free from pride, self-conceit, personal vanity, or some secret sin that our heart knows. Oh, hateful sin that destroys our peace and ruins our souls!" So yes, oh, that God might give us more fruit But that he might also give us humility, even as he gives us the fruit. Number five, the usefulness of fruit. The usefulness of fruit. One day, it would be a good thing to read the biography of a man named uh, Lord Shaftesbury. You know about Wilberforce. Maybe you don't know about Shaftesbury. Wilberforce did so much good in his life. Not just the freeing of slaves. Uh, so many other things, uh, areas where the Lord used him. Lord Shaftesbury was like that as well. And uh, if you go to London, I'm told you will see at Piccadilly Circus a memorial to Lord Shaftesbury. One day I'd love to do that. Um, He was a man uh, marked by philanthropy. Uh, Just tremendous good was done through him. When he was 26 he wrote a very brief mission statement. He said this. He wrote, I want nothing but usefulness to God and my country. So he's 26 years old and he looks at his life. he says, that's what I want. You know, other people want this and that and the other. I want usefulness to God and my country. I want to be used by God. I want to be used for the glory of God and the benefit of others. One of his biographers says that when he died... There were all kinds of people who lined the streets of London just to catch a glimpse of the casket as they carried it along. Um, uh, troubled people, poor people, disenfranchised people. Because he had done so much good. Well, you and I want to live a useful life, don't we? We want to live a useful life. Where? We're not going to buy into the North American mantra that I need a break today and I need to just look out for number one and I need to just make sure that I'm enjoying my life. It's not all about me. It's all about God and it's all about being useful. And that's what this fruit is all about. Through our fruit, we're going to be useful in the kingdom of God, useful to the church of Christ, useful to our generation. We want to be a blessing to the saints of God. We want to be a help to the family. You know, this is, I was saying last week, this is the family. We want to be helpful to members of the family. We want to be a light to the lost. We're surrounded by the lost in this community and in this country and in this world. We're surrounded by lost people. We want to be light to them. We want to be the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus in this world. We want to speak truth and wisdom to a world that, when it comes to truth, is a a dark place. We want to be uh, the kinds of people who are useful because, you know, when you listen to us, there's truth that comes out of here. We speak truth. We speak wisdom. People don't have wisdom today, but we speak wisdom. We want to be useful. We want to serve and to minister and to be Christ-like in this terrible world. I was going to say I love Thomas Hardy, but maybe love is a strong word. I appreciate Thomas Hardy, the writer, the English writer. Uh, you may know Tessa Um But you know, his literature tends to be depressing. It's not surprising then to read that At the end of his life, somebody asked him, have you you achieved all your ambitions? Have you done all you'd hoped to do? And this is what he said. Can you imagine coming to the end of your life? You live a completely different life. You live a life that will be useful. Because you speak truth. And you do good. And it doesn't matter whether you're famous or not, or powerful or not, You're a Christian who lives and bears fruit necessarily and so your life will be useful. It'll be useful to the saints here and it'll be useful to the sinners all around us. What a privilege. The cultivation of fruit. That's the last thing. The cultivation of fruit. We want to be fruitful. You and I. We thank God that we will be fruitful. We'll not come to the end and say, oh, I've lived a life that's really not been any point at all. No, we, we will have lived a useful life, thank God. How do you want to be? I mean, you want to be fruitful, but surely you also want to be more fruitful. I mean, you've been fruitful thus far. You want to grow, you want to be more fruitful. Let me give you two keys to be, to be fruitful and more fruitful. Prayer to God. And power from God. Those are the two keys: prayer to God and power from God. Let me put that another way. Want to be more and more fruitful, walk with God. You have your dependent face turned towards the Lord, and you have his powerful hand reaching out to you. You're walking with God. Prayer to God and power from God. That's the key if you want to grow. And that's what Jesus was talking about in John 15. When he says, Abide with me and I in you. A branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. So, prayer to God and power from God. Looking in independence to God. And drawing power from God. That's the key. Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11, Paul says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge, all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. That's how you grow exponentially in terms of fruit. It's by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You have to abide in Christ. And the more you abide in Christ, the more fruitful you will be. I bought a a really cool desk lamp this week. I want to tell you about it, but I don't have time because I'm running out. But it's really cool, and we got it, and with a certain hint of a note of panic, I said to Heather, it doesn't work. Then I thought, plug it in. And it worked. Lesson learned. Same is true when it comes to the light you shine in the world. You won't shine light unless you're you're plugged in. You won't bear fruit unless you're plugged in, unless you're connected to, unless you're joined to, unless you're abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you abide? By prayer. It, it almost always comes back to basics. By prayer. By the reading of God's Word. By the fellowship with the saints. As you spend time with God's people, as you sit under the ministry of God's Word, you'll grow. Like, don't don't lament the fact. Don't say, "Oh, I wish I, I wish I was growing more as a Christian." And you don't read your Bible, and you don't pray, and you don't take every opportunity to be under the Word. Like, like it's hypocritical to to lament lack of fruit if you're not going to avail yourself of the means. So that's that's how you grow. That's how you exponentially grow. Richard Baxter was talking to pastors when he said this, but it's true of all of us. He said, when your minds are in a holy and heavenly frame, your people are likely to be partakers of the fruits of it. They will likely feel when you have been much with Christ. What is most on your heart is likely to be most in their ears. So if you want to be effective in your ministry to others, spend time with God. And the wonderful thing is that uh, the Lord is able to use you wonderfully. One writer named Alec Moutier said, God is neither neither dependent on our competence, nor derailed by our incompetence. He is sovereign in the accomplishing of His will. So when you abide in Him, He's able to make you wonderfully and profoundly fruitful. Well, there you have it. Now, I have few minutes left, so I'm going to give you four lessons. First of all, watch your speech. Watch your speech. One of the most potentially useful areas of your life is your speech. One of the ways in, you, in which you can bear the most fruit is your conversation. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, Proverbs 10-11. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, Proverbs 15, 4. The tongue is the power of life and death, Proverbs eighteen twenty one. The speech of the upright rescues people, Proverbs 12, 6. The tongue of the wise brings healing, Proverbs 12, 18. Whatever else you can or cannot do, you can talk. You might not be able to do what other people can do. You might not be able to do more what you used to be able to do. But you can still talk. And conversation that has, as it's focus the glory of God and the good of others can be wonderfully fruitful. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. The word corrupt is the same word that we have here for bad. So what Paul is saying, don't let any rotten words come out of your mouth but only what is good for edifying. So I have a friend who's an old man, and uh, he just can't do the things that he used to do. Uh, But he can talk. And so he and I talk with some regularity, and he always apologizes for taking up my time, because he, he says, oh, you're so busy, and I don't want to take time from you. But the conversation always proves to be a blessing to me. And what I find almost invariably is that In our conversation, I learn something that I can use and I do use in my sermons that week. So we chat and I learn something. Oh, that'll be good for this sermon. So what do you have? You have someone who is incapacitated in many ways, but he can still talk. And by his conversation is affecting my spiritual state. And in teaching and helping me, he's affecting you. Because he's being a blessing to you. See, it's marvelous how it works. So, um, watch your speech. There's the power of life and death. Use your conversation for good. Secondly, be patient. Be patient, because growth takes time. Growth takes time. We want to see, for instance, the fruit of conversion. But in many cases, it takes time. William Carey labored for seven years in India before... He saw his first convert. If you read missions history, you'll find that again and again that's the case. It was the case with Judson, the case with Moffat in South Africa, and so on and so forth. So be patient. We want to see conversions, but be patient. We want to see the fruit of righteousness. You have to be patient. If you, for instance, if you have an apple tree in your yard and you go every hour on the hour to look for the apple, You know, there's no fruit there. You say, well, I'm going to keep checking. Every hour, every hour, on the hour, for days, you go crazy. If you say to yourself or you ask someone, am I more patient than yesterday? Well, you know, that's really hard to say. But if you say, am I more patient than I was 10 years ago? Probably the answer is yes. So what I'm saying is just be patient. Sometimes we can be impatient with ourselves in terms of our progress. Just be patient. Growing takes time. Thirdly, do your best. Do your best. We, we want to be useful, and we're not as fruitful as we would like to be. But do your best to honor God and to bless others. Richard Sims is writing about the fact that we should try to do right and do good and speak right and, to, and, and, and do right. Even when we feel weak, and even when we feel our sins uh, dragging us down, he says, "No, just, just, just keep working. Just keep doing your best." He says, "This Christ loves to taste the good fruits that come from us, even when they still have a taste of our old nature to them. See, so even, even when the fruit is not it's not delicious, you know, it's not, it's not sweet." It's still a little bit hard, you know. Still, keep working, keep working. Christ loves to see fruit in our lives, even when it still has a bit of the old nature in it. Just keep working. Just keep, uh, keep pressing on. And lastly, be thankful. Be thankful that God can use even you. God can use even me. Charles Spurgeon writes about a man named John Rippon who preceded him at, uh, at his church. And he said, um, Dr. Rippon, uh, he was uh, in the church for a period of 63 years. He was pastor there for 63 years. That's a long time. Spurgeon says, he outlived his usefulness. As Spurgeon says, he, he tried to control the pulpit uh, long past the time when he was able to use it in a fruitful way. And he says, sometimes when he when, when guest preachers would come, Dr. Ripman would sit in the congregation and he'd kind of say things, you know, under his breath maybe, but he'd say things, something critical about the, the preacher there. So the Spurta says, well, there were these problems with him. He wasn't perfect. But he says this, what I found so encouraging. He says, without being great, he was exceedingly useful. I find that this is tremendously encouraging. Without being great, Because of the Lord, he was exceedingly useful. Well, that means there's hope for us. That means the Lord can can use us in wonderful ways. We're not great. We're not noble. And we're not mighty. But the Lord can use us. And use us well. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, how we thank you for your goodness to us in not only saving us, but giving us the privilege of serving of being fruitful in the kingdom for the good of others and the glory of your name. Help us, we pray, to give glory to you and be useful for you. We pray for Jesus' sake.